Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. I hope you're already there. In the first half of this short letter to the church in Colossae, Paul did not waste any time getting straight to the point. Chapter 1, he delved into theological heresy. And then in chapter 2, his focus was on doctrinal error. All of this, of course, was due to the false teachers who had infiltrated this church. They had crept their way into this church. Now, bear in mind that Colossae is in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And it was therefore a Gentile church who did not necessarily have uh, any religious background uh, to come off of. And therefore, it, it really made it more difficult for them to fend off the lies of the false teachers. They really had not yet become familiar enough to, to know what you and I know about the Scripture, what we call biblical truth. They really hadn't gotten to that point where they were able to grasp it. They were susceptible to these false teachers. And so for Paul, it was very important that he started this letter off with correction. Half the letter is correction theologically, theologically as well as doctrinally. And, of course, so he can make sure this church is as grounded as they can be. Well, now going from there into chapter 3, Paul is now moving from doctrinal issues into practical issues, or just what you and I would call everyday living. It's almost like he's saying, now that I've taught you what truth is, I want you to translate that into who you are and, of course, how you live. As you've heard me say numerous times, what we believe affects the way we live, doesn't it? So he went directly into theological heresy, doctrinal issues, and now he's getting into how they should be living their lives. And so Paul's motivation is now that hopefully these people are you know, straightened out between the ears, if you will. In other words, they're theologically sound. They understand who Christ is. They understand how to live the Christian life, or at least some of it anyway. He wants to motivate them into holy living. Okay? They need to know, they need to understand that even though they're in this world, even though they are living in a society that is completely godless, it is evil, it is wicked, it does not mean that they have to be a part of this world. It doesn't mean they are to take part in its sinful habits. So how many times, even in our own society, we see the direction that things are going. And it's so easy to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this in a Christian way, right? That's what tends to happen. And this, by the way, is a great reminder for, just for you and me as well, because this message that we're going to hear today uh, spans the time, it spans the generations. It's not just for the Colossians. I mean, you and I live in a time where the church, sadly, the church tends to hang on to the coattails of the world. They feel like if we're just a few feet behind it, then somehow we're okay. Somehow we're still right with God. But that's a lie from hell itself, folks. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to be the lighter version of our culture because that's where the church usually ends up like it is today. So we need to stop following the church in 2023 and start following the Word of God. And believe me, there are big differences in where we stand today. 
Matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, I'm sure many of you know this, he told us, do not, which means that is a command, do not love this world or anything in this world. If anyone loves the world, he says the love of the Father is not in them. That's a challenge, isn't it? For everything in the world, he says, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what one has and does, he says that does not come from the Father, but it comes from the world. See? The Christian life, Paul is going to tell us, is not about the temporal ideas of this fallen world. It's not about all the popular fads that come and go. It's actually about having a heavenly perspective. Okay? Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It says that Christ gave himself for our sins. Now listen, then it says, so that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. Okay? So not only does this verse apply to that one day, when we will be with the Lord, when we are completely and totally delivered. But notice the words there, present evil age. It's telling us that the gospel is, is, is sort of a, a rescue operation that helps us to separate ourselves from this God-rejecting world. We are to be separate from this world. And so the Colossians, just like just like you and me today, needed to hold on to the scriptural understanding that they're aliens, strangers on this earth, right? We are of Christ's kingdom. We are not to be of this world. And so as we look at the first four verses this morning of chapter 3, not only picture in your mind what's going through in the context as it deals with the Colossian people, but put your own personal name in there. Put your own personal name right in the middle of the text. And because this text spans the generations, as I was saying earlier. In other words, it goes much further than simply the church in Colossae. This literally speaks to you and me today, tomorrow, and until the Lord returns. And so read with me, if you have your Bibles open to Colossians 3, read with me verses 1 through 4. He says, since then, and by the way, if you have a translation that starts off with if, I would put a line through it and put since. Uh, this is a reality. It's not a hypothetical. Okay? Um, sometimes those can be interchanged, but obviously, if it's a hypothetical, this one is real. So it should say, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If, if you were to take all those verses and just break them down in the absolute simplest of ways, here is Paul's point. If you consider yourself to be in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, he's saying then live like it, okay? If you can boldly say, yes, I know Jesus Christ. Yes, he is my Savior. He is my Lord. 
then ask yourself, where is my focus? Where is my focus in life? Okay? Is it grounded in the ways of the world, which is corrupt, immoral? It has degenerate standards that you and I see every single day? Or do you rise above that and say, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ? Look with me at the first part of verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. These Colossian Christians, just like all believers, have not only died with Christ, but they have also been raised with Christ. Chapter 2, in here, right here in Colossians, chapter 2, verse 12, tells us that we were buried with him and that we were also raised with him through or because of our faith in him. Because of our faith in Christ, it's as if we are buried with him and raised with him. Okay? Simply put, if you, if you look at the time of this, this was written, all the way till today, okay? every single person who's ever come and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, we have all been united together with him in his death and in his resurrection. In other words, when Christ died as our substitution, it was as if we died. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it was as if we rose. See? Now, for Christ, when he rose, we all know that he ascended to be with the Lord, right? He ascended to be at the right hand of God, which he is still at this very day. And there's many areas in Scripture that tells us that. We, though, for you and me, even though spiritually speaking we rose with him, we still continue to live on this earth. But we don't live as if nothing had happened We are to live a new way of life. Christ rose. He was only here for 40 days, and he ascended to be with the Father. We're going to be on this earth till the day that the Lord calls us home. And so we live our lives understanding that we too have died with Christ. We too have been raised with him, and therefore we do live in a new way of life. Many of you know Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. What does it say? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. He Listen, he says, it is no longer I that live. Did you catch that? It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. The believer, you and I, these Colossians and all believers have a union, if you will, with Christ. It's, in other words, as, it's as if we have a shared life, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. It's like we have a shared life. Whatever Christ would do, he says we are to do the same. We are to be the same. And so that being said, it only makes sense how Paul follows this up here in verse 1. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, then he says, set your hearts on the things that are above. Okay? Since you have died with Christ, been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. In other words, one should affect the other. Right? Now, the words there, set your hearts, which are in the NIV, 
um, are better translated to seek or to crave. You can also say to strive after. I would say the New American Standard has the best translation on this, which simply says, keep seeking. It's in the present tense as it's presented. Continue habitually, always be seeking the things that are above. Always be striving after those, craving those things that are above. Now, a little more subjective, obviously, here are the words, the things above. What are the things above? Well, the the best way to say that is you can simply say godly things, or even better, you could say the things that glorify God. What are the things that we constantly seek? We seek the things that glorify God. You might say it's, it's, it's having heavenly values. Okay? One commentator says uh, it bring heavenly direction to our earthly duties. In other words, we apply the Word of God to our everyday activities, which, of course, would bring glory to God. I know some of you might remember Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. What does it tell us? It tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? Seek first. And then he goes on and says, and all these things will be added unto you. And he talks about the basic necessities of life. But he's saying here, our job is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, MacArthur points out, and he says, Paul desires that the Colossians' preoccupation with heaven govern their earthly responses. To be preoccupied with heaven is to be preoccupied with the one who reigns there. It's also to be preoccupied with his purposes and his plans and his provisions. It is also to view the things, the people, and the events of this world through his eyes and with an eternal perspective. You might put it this way. Seeking God, continually seeking the things above, is very important, he says, right? But don't place the seeking above what is sought. Does that make sense? Don't place the seeking above what is being sought. Keep your eyes on the prize. How's that? That's the important part. We seek the things above. We seek the things of God. We seek the things constantly to glorify God. And we should continue to seek as it talks about, but keep your focus on the prize on what is sought. See? In a similar way, yet in a different statement, he goes from saying, set your hearts on the things above in verse 1 to saying in verse 2, to set your minds on the things above. So setting your hearts, as I just mentioned a minute ago, means to continually seek, right? Here, setting your mind is to be understood as to continually think, continually think on the things above. It's kinda, it it kind of speaks of our inner disposition. Have a constant understanding of the things that are above. Lightfoot paraphrases it this way. You must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
I know many of you know this one. It says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Mind. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Think of Philippians 4.8. Dave mentioned this a couple weeks back. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you know what he says? Think on these things. Think on these things. We're talking about spiritual values. We're talking about things that characterize Christ, right? You mentioned many things. I just wrote down a few. Kindness, patience, wisdom, forgiveness, purity, love, and I'm sure we can keep going on. And if you're wondering how we practically do that, in my mind, there literally is no other way, and it is to have a focus, it is to have a fixation on the Scriptures. It's to let His thoughts be our thoughts. It doesn't get any cleaner than coming from Scripture itself. we got to let what He says become what we think, what we dwell upon, what we fixate upon. Listen, folks, you know, everything that we know about God, everything, everything that we know, you and I both know about Christ, his Holy Spirit, all the things that we know about his character, his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, his morality, his virtue, everything you and I know about heaven, it all comes from where? From this book, the Word of God. Every single thing. The only way we can set our minds on the things above, the only way we can get to this heavenly focal point is to go to the author and the creator of it all. When he says set your minds on the things that above, he's not talking about puppies and unicorns. He's talking about the word of God. Everything there for morality and virtue and holiness and righteousness is there. And you can trust it. It's authoritative. If this is what we think, if this is what we seek, if this is what we focus on, listen, there's not going to be any room for the desires of our flesh. It's like filling your tank. If you fill your tank with the things of Scripture, there's no room for anything else. You're not going to get anything else in there. It kind of reminds me of of what Paul said to the Galatians and In chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not, he says, will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you're living by the Spirit of God, there's no room for the flesh. There's no room for our desires of the flesh or our sinfulness. See? Keeping that same mindset, What does he say in the rest of verse 2? I'll just read it all again. Set your minds on the things above. And then he says what? Not on earthly things. Now, some theologians believe that those earthly things are are what Paul was talking about in chapter 2, verse 16 where it says this. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you 
by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, obviously, what's happening here are the false teachers were making a big deal about temporal observances. Obviously, they're Jewish in nature, as you can see that, right? But these are things that have no heavenly value, right? What this church was eating and drinking, how it was important that certain yearly festivals be attended, how every month they should continue to celebrate the new moon, which is how they they set their calendar on. And then, of course, they want you to continue to focus on their rest or the worship of the Old Testament Sabbath day. Well, other theologians have a broader view of what those earthly things are from verse 2. Instead of looking back a few verses, they look forward a few verses. And I tend to agree with this point of view here, especially because what it talks about in verses 5 and 8. Notice what it says, same chapter. Verse 5, it says, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to what? Your earthly nature. What are those? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. That's not exhaustive, by the way. Go to verse 8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So Paul is saying here in verse 2, don't get caught up in these earthly things. Okay, That entire list of what I just read goes on around us every single day. Everything we just read there, and you can add some more if you like, goes on around us every single day. And for some of us, it's who we used to be. And so to be preoccupied with such things is unworthy of those who have been raised with Christ. Verse 1. That's important. We're told here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 18, to fix our eyes not on what is seen. Not on what, in other words, you can say not on what's around us. Don't fix your eyes on what is seen, what's going on around us, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. For what is unseen is eternal. He's saying that our lives here, folks, are going to be dominated by something. And we know that, right? Our lives are going to be dominated by something. He says, so make sure that it is a heavenly pattern that can be applied to earthly subject matter. As William Barclay explains, he says, from now on, the Christian will see everything in the light and against, everything, and against the background of eternity. He will no longer live as if this world was all that mattered. He will see this world against the backdrop of the larger world of eternity. We don't look at this world and say, where do I fit? Because we don't fit. You shouldn't fit. If you do fit, you're living in sin, to be honest. Now from there, Paul steps up and he tells us now why this should be the norm for every believer. Verse 3. He says, because, for or because, because you died. 
He says your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Another way of saying that is, for you died to this life. You died to this old life that you once lived. And your real life, your new life, is now hidden with Christ in God. That's why he says constantly, habitually, setting your minds on the things above. Once again, setting your hearts on the things above. Okay? We do that. He says we, don't, we, don't, we, we back off of the earthly things because we died to that. Right? We're no longer a part of that. We, that's why he started this. You have been raised with Christ. That means you've died with Christ and you were raised with Christ. We live a new life. In other words, seeking the things that are above, setting your mind on doing the same, and therefore divorcing yourselves from the world's ways, that should be the real you. Whatever the world goes after, you shouldn't be anywhere near it. Whatever the world says is popular, we shouldn't want anything of it. Period. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 8. He says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now listen, verse 11. In the same way, he's talking about Christians now. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're no longer under the law but under grace. Paul said in Galatians 6, verse 14, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Did you catch that? The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Think of uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you know that, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old things have passed away, he says. And behold, all things have become new. I'd hope so because we died right? We died with Christ. 
The point being, folks, we've died to the world system because of our union with Jesus Christ. What is foreign to him should also be foreign to us. Since he focused on holiness, since he focused on the glory of the Father, since he focused on all things that are right and good and just and so on and so forth, he's saying we should be preoccupied with the same. He says here in verse 3, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. If your mind is stuck on the things of the world, that means you're not living up to your position in Christ. You cannot say, this is whom I am in Christ, but this is how I live. That makes no sense. You can't claim Scripture. You can't claim to be that new creation. Here I am. I've died. I've risen. But, but, but here, here, here's how I live every day. That's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense. One more verse and we'll close. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus Christ, Paul says, is our life. How's that for a question to ask yourself? Is Christ my life? Think about that. Ask yourself, is Christ my life? As I said earlier from Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. This is Paul's challenge to these Colossians, but this is Paul's challenge to us as well and every believer who's ever lived. And not only is this our calling today, but as he says in this verse, we can also look forward to the one day that we will truly be like him, right? We're just warming ourselves up here on this earth. One day we will truly be like him. The end of verse four says, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First John chapter 3, verse 2 makes this very clear. John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We enthusiastically wait for his return, certainly, and, and, and most importantly, because we will be with him forever. No more sin to deal with. The sin of yourself, the sin of me, and the sin of others. We look forward to that day, but also, as Paul states in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, we eagerly we await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. I hope we all anticipate that day, but until that day happens, Paul has challenged us, uh, I believe, this morning in how we are to live, how we are to focus, how we are to continually seek, how we are to continually think in the meantime while we're on this earth. 
Okay? By honoring him today, by doing these things today, we will be ready for the time when he returns and the time that we will be with him. But today, like I said, it's just a warm-up session. We're going to be with him forever, for all eternity. And so he says, today, while you're still here, you, you've already died with Christ. So he's now live for him. Put your heart and your mind on the things that are above, not on the earthly things. Don't worry about what the world does. Don't worry about the happiness, the temporal happiness of what is going on outside. Don't, don't ever desire to be a part of that or want to be a part of that. You want to be like Christ. And if you stand out because of that, great. Because that's what he wants. If the world is your friend, that's a problem. We're to come out from that. And folks, we live in a time now when it's truly going to be apparent who we stand for. Christ says you're with me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. And if anybody just simply watches five minutes of the news, we know where our culture, we know where our society is going. And we have to stand opposed to that. We have to stand for the word of God. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter the names they're going to call you. Right? It's everything phobe. That's what we are. We're just everything phobes. That's what the world loves to call us. But if that means that I'm standing on the word of God and I'm seeking the things of God, fine, call me whatever you want to call me. So, but we have to stand for that in our own life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can just spend a few minutes going through this scripture. Thank you for the reminder of how we should, we should seek, how we should think where our hearts should be. Lord, we're bombarded with things every single day on the news, or maybe it's those that we work with, or maybe it's the school that we attend or work at. Lord, help us to be people who come out from that, that are separate from that. People recognize that. Not because we're trying to show off, but Lord, because we're trying to honor you. We're trying to seek those things that are above. Seek the things that glorify you. And Lord, what goes on in our world today is far from it. And so, Lord, help us all today to be a standout in this culture. Help us to be a standout to say that, you know what? No matter what, we're going to honor you. No matter what, we're going to stand for Scripture. And if people don't like it, that's okay. You don't have to, but we're going to honor you no matter what. And, Lord, give us the strength to do that every day as we know we will be opposed. Thank you, Lord, that we can be reminded of this today. In Jesus' name, amen.